Sports Radio 104.3 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. Good morning, Colorado. Welcome to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on FM 104.3 The Fan. But contrary to that fine introduction, I am not Terry Wickstrom. I'm Chad Lachance. And once again, I've been given the keys to the studio to fill in while Terry's away and traveling. So we would like to wish Terry safe travels. I'm not even sure where he is, but I'm sure he's off chasing fish somewhere. But we've got a really busy show lined up on a beautiful sunny morning here in Colorado. Lots of snow, lots of sunshine. And a great day to spend the first part of the morning maybe indoors while it warms up just a touch and then get outdoors and see what's out there. But we've got the usual segments with Colorado Parks and Wildlife, some actually really interesting things going on there. Uh, We're going to go forward from there in the second half of the hour and talk a little bit about some of the preseason preparation for big game hunting. But before we get into all that stuff, we want to talk to a guy who's in a little warmer spot in the universe and uh, who's quickly becoming a good friend of mine these days and somebody you may have seen on Fistful Thinker television here Lately in Denver, he's been on my show a couple times and joining us from Eufaula, Alabama, a little bit warmer, although not necessarily drier. We have Major League Fishing Pro, former Bass Elite Series angler, Josh Bertrand. Good morning, Josh. What's going on, Chad? Can you hear me? Yes, sir. It's all good. Uh, And you're calling in from Alabama. Now, for folks that are bass fishing fans, you are actually fishing a Major League Fishing event right now. And I believe you were on the water yesterday, and not only were you on the water yesterday, but you smoked them pretty good, caught a largemouth, looked like pushing six and three-quarter pounds, put yourself in second place. It's the first day of the first tournament of the year. you got to feel pretty good about that. A hundred percent, yeah. And I heard you say in the intro uh, that, you know, I'm somewhere a little warmer than Colorado, and it should be a lot warmer, but it is just a little warmer, man. We're dealing with some... uh, quite the cold blast for this part of the country and uh yeah i was thrilled to just go out and have a solid day yesterday because it's a it's it's really tough to catch these southern florida strain fish when it's cold out they they hate it you know 30 40 50 degrees to them may as well be uh ice to uh fish fish out where you live oh yeah yeah you know i'm a florida native myself and that's the biggest thing i dread people talk about going to florida or going to fish florida strains the cold weather and florida strain fish do not go together they don't like cloud cover even really as much as some other bass and (laughs) i know you've had serious rain i've been kind of watching you on social media and uh you've had some serious rain going on there um how much how much has that affected your fish yeah, that's a good question, and it, it has a lot, you know. So this lake is not its not a crystal clear lake like what we're used to dealing with out west where, you know, where you do the show. Um, it's generally a lake that's got a little stain to it, but, I mean, we've had so much rain that it, the water came up two feet overnight the uh, night before yesterday, and it's come up another uh, six inches in the last 24 hours. So it's come up a lot, man. It's two and a half feet above normal pool, and it's really muddy. So, you know, muddy water is always, it's not always the worst thing, but cold muddy water is bad, and then um, freshly muddied water is not a good thing. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. We're dealing with both. Yeah, freshly muddied water, especially if that rain was cold. Uh, You know, I've I've talked to a bajillion pro bass guys like yourself over the years, and all of them will tell you the the thing they they dread the most is cold muddy water. you know, and that's not good. But, you know, it speaks a little bit to um, what it takes to be a professional-level bass guy. And that's really what I kind of want to talk about. Now, you've been a pro for what amounts to 12 years, almost half of your life. You're a young guy. 
I still think of you as an up-and-comer, although 12 years as a pro is hard to qualify as an up-and-comer. But uh, you've, you've won $100,000 in one event. You almost won Anglers of the Year a couple of years ago. Uh, it seems to me that you've got to have serious diversity. And there's a lot of guys that think, oh, I could be a Bass Pro, especially young guys these days. They do good in a club tournament or a bunch of club tournaments, and they think I could be a pro. But can you get in your truck and drive from Arizona to Lake Eufaula, Alabama, and then deal with two and a half feet of rising muddy water on a giant lake against the best in the country and still put yourself in second place? And I don't you think that diversity is one of the things that divine, defines a modern pro these days? Don't you you think that that's a, a key thing is the diversity to to uh, to be able to fish all different kinds of water? Well, Chad, you sure know how to make a guy feel good, dude. Thanks for uh, <laughs> pumping me up, man. Even though I'm not worthy of that, but uh, yeah, it it definitely when you when you fish all over the country, you run into all kinds of different stuff. And you know, no matter what, you know, you grew up fishing one region, and you're going to be really well versed in that style of fishing in whatever region you're from. But there's a learning curve, and, you know, uh, anyone's capable to, to do this for a living, but th- you've got to go through that learning curve. No one's going to instantly know how to handle different types of conditions in different parts of the country because there are so many variables, right? I mean, every region's got different types of grasses, different types of bait fish. Sometimes you're dealing with tides, and um, you just can't be a master at all that stuff right away. So it takes time, and, um, you know, I, I, one thing when I was, like, starting out was um, a lot of times I would try to uh, relate uh, different bodies of water to my home lakes and uh, very rarely would it work. I usually would end up struggling if I, you know, would put, put, you know, find myself on a body of water and be like, well, what can I compare this to back home? Okay. Well, let me fish it like I would back home. And I would end up crashing and burning, you know, everywhere you go is different. And, um, you know, it's you always want to put your own flavor onto it, but you know, one thing is sometimes you just have to fish like the locals fish. I mean, it, you know, I'm from Arizona, and in these situations, I'm not fishing Arizona techniques. I'm not doing anything I would have done in Arizona. That's for sure. Well, yeah, I think that's that's for sure. And fishing what the locals do, there's a reason that the locals evolve into those things. And uh, you know, and and yep. these days, especially in the neck of the woods where you are now, in, in Alabama. Even some of the locals are straight up hammers, and uh, and they can catch them on those bodies of water for real. Uh, but having said that, statistically speaking, locals don't generally win in big money bass tournaments. And I my feeling on that, and I'll see what your thoughts are on this, is that locals they fish a little bit too many memories. Where you need a little bit of local knowledge, but you also need an open mind. And how important is that for you as a pro to to fish with an open mind? I mean, it's probably been a while since you were fishing in Alabama. You can't go back to memories. The water's rising. The water's cold. You know, it's maybe a different season or a different lake in Alabama. How much of it is show up with a completely open mind and just fish by the seat of your pants? And how much of it is research or from what I did there last time? That's another – it's a good question too, man. And uh, I I think – Probably, I agree with your assessment on on why it's difficult for a local angler to win like a multi-day tournament. A one-day tournament, um, you know, they've got a huge advantage. But I think coming to an area not knowing not knowing the lake at all definitely allows you to fish the current conditions. And um, if you, if you grew up fishing a lake and you know a hundred 
you know, rock piles and brush piles and little uh, little key one fish spots, it's really, really hard to not just try to fish all of them in the tournament. And, and you know, sit, you're sitting there telling yourself, well, three years ago the conditions were exactly like this at this time of year, and I won a local tournament doing this, and you, you go back to it. And even though the conditions or you know, maybe this the situation, maybe not even the conditions, but the situation tells you something else. So, uh, yeah, man, I mean, definitely uh, sometimes there's a huge advantage to knowing the lake really well. But when you get the crazy conditions like this, you know, it, it plays into the hands of the non-locals. It at least gives them a better chance. Right, right. And I agree with you on the multi-day thing. Anyone can get lucky on any one day. Uh, in fact, when I fish tournaments more, I don't fish tournaments these days. I coach more than I fish uh, tournaments. Yep. But uh, but I despised one-day tournaments because there's too much luck involved. And you're talking to a guy named LaChance, right? I'm supposed to be lucky. <laughs> but I don't want to rely on that for my fish, you know? So I, I would way rather have a multi-day tournament because over a multi-day tournament, uh, your skill set, your ability to learn and adapt uh, – will will pay dividends whereas on a one day tournament uh you know anything's possible any one guy could catch one big bag and and uh and win you know but uh but over a three or a four day event like you guys fish i think your events are almost six days long total now a lot's going to change on a fishery um you know and a lot of a lot of it's going to come down to your ability to adapt to what's what you're dealing with right in front of you don't you think yeah i mean hey with six days if you look at a weather forecast for a week and uh, when is the weather ever the same every day other than maybe like San Diego and Phoenix? Like it's always you're going to basically over the course of a week see everything from rain to sun and no wind to heavy wind uh, right. coming from different directions. So, yeah, man, being able to uh, adapt is really, really critical. And that's that's what makes it challenging. You know, you might find that. This, the winning spot on the lake for one day, but within three days, it's toast. I mean, I had a tournament last year at Table Rock uh, the first day. I mean, I had the area to, um, like, the area you dream about. Um, I found it in practice, and I was I was flipping. It, the water was flooded. It was high, and I found an area with just a billion fish up in these flooded trees. And uh, the first day of the tournament, I caught 59 bass. Oh, jeez. It was unbelievable. And... If if that if the tournament would have been just like that day, the next day, and maybe actually the day before the tournament started, I, I would have easily won. But the water started coming down, and um, by the like three or four days into this tournament, when we started getting towards the finals, the water had fallen out of these trees, and the fish were dang near impossible to catch. And I ended up finishing in 40th place after mm-hmm. being in first first day um so it just goes to show sometimes you, you you don't make those right adjustments but man things uh things can change a lot in a couple of days it also goes to show that you've got to be humble to be a bass pro and uh and not not <laughs> yeah. uh not get, let a bad day get you down because one of those days you know uh is going to happen to you i don't care who you are the biggest names in the sport is going to run into a train wreck i t- geez kevin van dam blanked on table rock one time during a tournament and, and when they asked him what happened he said he got table rocked so, uh, oh, nice. yeah. So, so real, real quick here. Um, you have a podcast, and I think folks would love to tune into that. Uh, give us a in thirty seconds or less. Tell us about your podcast. Yeah, thanks for uh, bringing that up, Chad. 
So, yeah, our podcast is called Angler's Happy Hour. Uh, it's re- relatively new. We've been doing it for uh, about three months, but it's more about just the experiences of being in the outdoors. So it's not so much tournament news or anything like that, but the funny things that happen to you it's the, it, when you're out in the outdoors, traveling to your fishing tournament, traveling to your fishing trip, the stuff that you talk around a campfire. And uh, we, we have some calling guests, and sometimes it's just the three of us, the three hosts, but we have fun doing it, man. That's the key. We love it. Yeah, that's good. And I spent a couple days in a boat with you here back in November. We had a great time. Fans of this show can watch some of that uh, on Fishful Thinker Television both last week and this week, uh, two back-to-back. I appreciate you taking the time to do that. I'd also like to throw out there for people real quick that uh, there's a three-part series on our YouTube channel right now where I spoke with Josh, and we talked very, very candidly. It's uh, about a 35- or 40-minute conversation over the three parts that we talked very candidly about – you know, about what it takes to be a Bass Pro, the behind-the-scenes stuff and the, you know, what it takes to get into the sport and things like that. I, I think it's, it'll be eye-opening for people, and I do appreciate you taking the time to do that. Uh, if a guy wants to follow you, first of all, they can watch live on Major League Fishing during any of the events, MajorLeagueFishing.com. But uh, also, where are they going to find Josh Bertrand specifically? Yeah, thanks, Chad. Uh, just Josh underscore Bertrand Fishing on uh, Facebook and Instagram. I uh, do have a website, Josh Bertrand Fishing, and, uh, yeah, watch those episodes of Fishful Thinker. We had a good time. Uh, we ribbed each other a little bit, caught some fish, struggled. We, we went through the whole gamut out there, and uh, they were really, it was really fun to fish with you guys. So make sure you guys check that out if you haven't done that yet. I appreciate that, Josh. With that, we're going to let you get back to your tournament. Best of luck, and uh, keep us posted on everything. Thanks for uh, all your support here on Fishful Thinker. Like I said, folks can check that out on the Fishful Thinker YouTube channel. With that, Josh, good luck, and, uh, and, and have fun in your first tournament of the year. Awesome. Thanks for having me, man. Talk to you guys soon. All right. Take care. And with that, guys, we have burned up the first segment. We're going to step aside and take a break. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. All right. Welcome back to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. That is the Led Zeppelin, one of our listeners requested on the Fishful Thinker Facebook page. We appreciate that. But uh, with that, we're already running late, guys, since I talk too much. So we're going to go right back to the phones, and we're going to be joined by Corey Spakes. He's from Stagecoach State Park. He's the administrative assistant. And I talked to him yesterday, and I think he spent most of yesterday trying to only get to the park headquarters because the snow was so deep up in the steamboat area. So good morning, Corey. How are you feeling this morning? Hey, good morning, Chad. I'm a little worse for the wear, but uh, managed to get our campers out, and we're we're still trying to get access to the park. But uh, I'm here. Uh, you're matters. there, and you, you said <laughs> something like pushing 30 inches of snow yesterday. Coloradans love to hear that. Everybody should probably head up once you get your park open. But because we are running late, I'm going to jump right into our situation. Uh, first of all, fishing. We want to know. Everybody wants to know, how is the ice fishing? Other than being deep snow, how's the ice fishing right now at Stagecoach State Park? And for folks who aren't familiar, Stagecoach is up uh, very uh, very close to Steamboat Springs. Yeah, so um, we're, we're actually only about 16 miles away from Steamboat. So for folks who want to come up, that's, that's good to know. We're, we're close, and we're actually the closest state park to that ski resort. Um, and the fishing, it's funny, uh, for better or worse, the fishing is phenomenal right now. Um, I got some of the best fishing reports I've had this winter over the last four days during this storm. Um, <clears throat> multiple reports of, of fish in the 20 and 22 inch range, which is crazy. Tons of 17 and 18 inch healthy fish and the stalkers are still, still biting really well. Um, yeah, the fishing's going really good. So lots of trout coming through. Not seeing much in the way of pike, but uh, it, it's going good. If anybody wants to come up, though, 
bring a shovel and some snowshoes. It's tough access out there. There's about two feet of snow on top of a layer of slush on top of that ice. Oh, geez. So my experience has been, in a lot of cases, the harder you have to fight to get to a place, the better the fishing can be. Uh, so there could be some argument for that. Anytime you can go out and catch, you know, plus or minus 20-inch rainbows and, and have the potential for pike, that's a good sign, worth fighting the conditions for sure. But be outside of that, it's obvious it's still winter up there, and uh, and you've got a major event coming up. It's called Debunk the Winter Funk. It was not an event I was familiar with, and we talked about it. It's got a huge diversity of events coming up. It's basically just for people to go out and shake off the shack nasties and give them a good excuse to get outside. Give us a, a rundown on what some of the events that, that, that people can expect if they visit Stagecoach State Park, and what is the date of your event? So um, Debunk the Winter Funk, it's an annual event we do every winter. And just like you said, it's just to remind people that getting outside is fun. You get some of that cabin fever, you know, the winter blues, and get outside and have a good time. We, um, we're doing it next Saturday, February 15th. It's going to go from 10 to 2. And uh, it's free. I mean, you need a state parks pass, but um, the event and all of the offerings are free. We're going to have ice fishing clinic going on the entire time. We've got fat bikes available to everybody to play with, and we're going to groom out a track. We've got ski bikes and a sledding hill. We're going to have archery down on the swim beach, even though it's covered in snow. It's it's uh, a lot of fun to get out there and fly some arrows, you know, in, in the wintertime. Um, we're doing some avalanche demonstrations and training, and there's going to be a group out doing uh, skijoring with, with dogs. Um, and then, of course, we've got a campfire and s'mores, and the friends of Stagecoach State Park are going to come out and make hot dogs for everybody. It's it's just a really, really good, fun, fun day. And that is February 15th from 10 to 2, correct? That is correct, sir. All right. And by then you'll have the park all open, right? Yeah, with any luck. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm optimistic that we might have it completely open tomorrow, but it's probably going to be Monday. Um, we've got a lot of digging out to do. Well, I've never heard of them complain about snow at Steamboat, but you said you've worked at that, or you know, worked at that park at Stagecoach there for five years, and these are some of the some of the toughest conditions you've seen, which is also very good for Colorado. Uh, maybe not so much for the guys that have to dig the park out, but um, you know, let me ask you this as we go into this debunk the winter funk event, if a guy wants to get help with some of these events, are there's going to be guides or helpers or is it just show up, bring your bow and fling arrows or, you know, go skiing or what's the deal? So one of the cool parts about this event is um, a lot of folks don't know, this is all equipment that we have available. Um, so, we are providing all of the ice fishing gear, everything from, you know, rods and reels to the actual bait and tackle. The um, archery setup is all ours. Um, and uh, so you we really don't need to bring anything except some cold weather gear. Be prepared for, you know, snow and slush and that kind of stuff. But other than that, we've got everything out. It's one of those fun days where we just roll out all our toys and try and celebrate all the fun things that we do here at Stagecoach. Well, it sounds like a great event. And for a guy that's not really a big fan of winter, it seems like it'd be a, a good event for me to get out there and try it anyway. So, and again, for folks who didn't hear the first part of it, that's February 15th, next Saturday from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. at Stagecoach State Park. And a guy can get more information at, at Colorado Parks and, and Wildlife's website, correct? Yes, we do have the event published on the state calendar, um, but we've actually moved a lot of our uh, communication over to Facebook, which seems to be a good, good um, source for folks. So if you have any questions or anything like that, you can actually message me directly through our Facebook page, and uh, I'll be right back with you. And does Stagecoach have its own page, or is it under the Colorado Parks page? 
It is Stagecoach owns own page, so it's facebook.com forward slash Stagecoach State Park. Perfect. That's great information for everybody. And, Corey, I know you had a rough day yesterday and probably a rough evening. You were still working when I talked to you at 730 last night. So uh, I appreciate all your efforts to get the park dug out, and uh, it's a blessing and a curse at the same time to have that much snow on the park. But uh, it should be a perfect uh, set of circumstances for debunk the winter funk. So with that, I think I'll let you step aside and get after your uh, the rest of your day's activities. Hey, thanks, Chad. I appreciate your time this morning, and you guys have a wonderful day. Stay safe out there, and, uh, yeah, we'll see everybody out on the ice. All right, take care. That's Corey Spakes from Stagecoach State Park. Great fishery, diverse fishery, both trout and pike in there. Great place to go harvest some small pike as well. We always let the big ones go and eat the little ones, and uh, they're delicious. So we're going to step aside and take a quick break. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. All right, welcome back to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. I'm Chad Lachance filling in for Terry Wickstrom, who's way in traveling. Of course, we always wish him safe travels. And with that, we're going to go back to the phones for our second Colorado Parks and Wildlife segment. We're going to be joined right now by Tracy Predmore, and she's a Southeast Region Education Coordinator for Colorado Parks and Wildlife. Good morning, Tracy. Good morning. I appreciate you taking time out of a beautiful Saturday to call in. How's your weather down there? Uh, beautiful sunny skies and blue blue skies as well. It's great. Classic Colorado day. Now, you've got an interesting uh, topic. It's fairly specialized, but something I feel pretty strong about. Uh, and it it's basically goes back to recruitment for, for the outdoors in general, for the traditional outdoors uh, pursuits. But uh, you're an instructor, uh, and you're teaching a class to get folks certified to teach archery. So you're not teaching archery. You're teaching other folks to teach archery. Give us the rundown on, on what exactly that, what I mean by that, and, and, and what, how the program works. Sure. So uh, Colorado uh, runs the National Archery in the Schools program for the schools in the state. And it is our job to train the teachers. Uh, and usually it's PE teachers, but it can be science teachers or, or anyone that wants to get involved. Uh, we teach them how to teach archery in the school safely and um, successfully. Well, that seems like a good strategy. Now, why would we want to teach archery in the schools? Well, archery is a really great sport for kids to get involved with. Um, it's something that all kids can participate in. You don't have to be the strongest kid. You don't have to be the fastest kid uh, to be really good at archery. We have a lot of ways to also adapt archery for um, you know, kids that may have some sort of um, physical issue. So it's a great equalizer for kids. And uh, it's just a great sport for them to get involved with. And, of course, uh, hopefully it's something that they might want to continue doing and, and it helps connect them to the outdoors, especially with their families. It's a great family sport as well. Yeah, I have a running joke of, of more tackle box and less Xbox. And archery would, would, uh, would fit right into that, you know, getting a kid outside doing something physical, uh, something that they can be rewarded for uh, doing well at. Uh, there's everything. And, and basically the, the instruction that you're teaching in the certification class is based on a, a national or international set of standards for archery. Is that correct? Correct. Um, it's a program that was started uh, by the Kentucky Department of Fish and Game, and it has become not only national, I think there's four, uh, 48 states that participate in it, as well as uh, 18 countries, I believe. So it's it is an international uh, program as well. So uh, it's it's a really good program. It's very safe. 
Uh, one of the statistics is that the only other sport that is safer than archery in the schools is ping pong. So it's a great program. I'm going to go ahead and call archery a little bit more exciting than ping pong, too, uh, as far as that goes. <laughs> Definitely. Now, um, to be clear, too, this is a program where you're teaching, say, say I'm a high school teacher in Denver, okay? And mm-hmm. I feel like that my school might have a, an opportunity or I might have an opportunity in my physical education program or curriculum to add archery. You're teaching that instructor to host that class, correct? Correct. Yes. Um, it's, a, it's a certification for them to be able to do that. Um, Colorado Parks and Wildlife also offers grants. Uh, to help schools get set up with equipment. Um, The program uses a very standardized set of equipment. They use universal bows so that kids of all different, um, you know, sizes and draw lengths can use the same equipment. Uh, And so we try and help those schools get set up not only with the training, but with the equipment as well. Gotcha. And that seems like a good plan all the way around. And I'm of the opinion that a percentage of those people will go on, even if it's a small percentage, a percentage of them will go on to taking to archery really well, uh, potentially turning into a bow hunter or uh, whatever, as the case might be. But if nothing else, it's a great physical sport to get them off the couch and, and, uh, and, and get them doing something that can be competitive if they would like it to be, can just get you out in nature, can just be for fun, can be a father-son thing. Now, what if I happen to be a parent that is hearing this, or I'm a student, even better, that's hearing this, and I say, geez, I would like to have archery in my school. Uh, do you think it's viable that a student or a parent can go to their school and say, hey, how do we get our, t- our school in this? Most definitely. Um, yeah, I encourage any parents or students that are interested in it to talk to their PE teacher or their administrators to try and get the program up and running. Uh, we can... We have information on our website uh, under Colorado par- uh, cpw.state.co.us. Uh, one of the tabs is teacher resources, and there's a whole page on, you know, why, why you should start this program in your school and how to start the program in your school. And we have three different training classes coming up this spring. Um, we have one in Colorado Springs on the 21st of February, one in Delta on the 25th of February, and then one in Denver in April on the 8th. Gotcha. So there's several opportunities for for people that want to be instructors to get signed up and do this. Is there a cost for this class? No, it is free. It is free. Fantastic. Now, uh, let's say I already have, I'm taking this class or I'm an archer in the first place. Since we're talking about archery and you're familiar with the Southeast region, uh, do you have a basic rundown of the parks in your region that have some opportunity for archery? I know we visited Trinidad State Park and they had a, a, a nice range set up there, relatively new, very modern range there. But you said there's some others that are that are even more profound than that one. Yeah, so uh, Trinidad is definitely one of the parks that we have. We have seven parks in the southeast region, soon to be eight with Fisher's Peak. Um, But right now we've got seven, and we have Trinidad as one of the parks with an archery range. Lathrop also has an archery range. Uh, Mueller State Park has what they call a pop-up range that they can move around. Uh, And then John Martin also has equipment, and they do uh, various events. But, yeah, the sort of the gem of the southeast region when it comes to archery is Cheyenne Mountain State Park. Um, they have a, a great range. They've got a teaching range. Uh, and then the best part of what people really like is they have a 3D walking range. And uh, there's, I forget how many stations, it's a mile worth of 
of trail with different 3D targets. So it's a lot of fun if you're, you know, if you're a bow hunter or if you're just into getting in the outdoors and, and having some fun with your bow. It's, it's a great place to check out. Yeah, 3D archery ranges, walking ranges, to me, it's the golf course of the archery world. Uh, you know, each exactly. target's a little different. Some are uphill, downhill. Sometimes there's obstacles, uh, you know, some big targets, little targets. It's a really fun fun way to go about practicing your archery for sure is, is it something like a 3D walking range. I know there's some other parks around the state that also have opportunities for archery, uh, you know, for for people to get out as well. So it's a it's a pretty neat deal. And, and I think Colorado Parks and Wildlife, one of the initiatives in general is recruiting of people to the outdoors and uh, and getting them outside, you know. I mean, that's why we live in Colorado. Uh, and so I think this is a really good way to do it. And the fact that it goes mainstream and in the schools is, a, is an excellent deal. You're also talking to a guy who helped a couple of different kids get um, uh, bass fishing clubs, competitive bass fishing clubs in their schools. And they've gone on to be successful clubs. And so, you know, it's definitely something that's doable. If you're a parent that's listening to this, you think, geez, that sounds great, but I don't know if I can get that done in my school. I'd be willing to bet you can. And uh, if a guy, one more time, we've, we've got about a, about a minute left. If a guy's got some information or wants to get some more information about doing it one more time, where would he get signed up to, to do this archery instruction certification class? Sure. There's, there's two places to check out. One is our website, which is CPW. .state.co.us. Under the Learn tab, there is a page for teacher resources and the Archery in the Schools program, or you can go directly to NASP, naspschools.org and find uh, not only the Colorado courses that we have, but courses na- nationwide. Well, that's all really good information. I appreciate the efforts you're doing. All the education coordinators around the state have a critical job, in my opinion. I've worked with several of you guys over the years. Um, very, very important for people to realize what resources we have and how to utilize them safely and, uh, and effectively. So I appreciate everything that you do. Yeah, thanks for promoting this. I appreciate it. You bet. Guys, that's Tracy Predmore. She's calling in from Colorado Springs Southeast Region Education Coordinator of Colorado Parks and Wildlife. Check that out. Uh, basic archery instructor in your schools. So with that, we're going to step aside, take a quick break. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. She serves them whiskey and wine. All right, welcome back to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. You're uh, talking with Chad Lachance here today, not Terry Wickstrom as he's away and traveling. So I've taken over the radio station for a little bit, and we want to talk to a good friend of mine, uh, Mr. Michael Deming. Michael Deming is a guy that I've been a writer for, contributing writer for, for like 12 years. We've evolved into a friendship that is taking us around to some crazy places in the world. He's also the publisher of Sportsman's News Magazine and the proprietor of the Pro Membership Sweepstakes, which we'll talk talk about here shortly. Most importantly, it's your birthday. Happy birthday, Michael. Thanks, Mr. Chad. I appreciate it. Yeah, you know, now real quick, I want to tease a little bit. Um, you, you and I got to get on five different plane rides to get to a remote island off the coast of Alaska, spend a week there chasing the world's largest bears, uh, and then fly home. Now, a lot of people are going to say, okay, wait a minute, that's not affordable for the real guy, and we'll talk about that here in a little bit, but it was a grand adventure uh, was able to harvest a gigantic old bear, and we'll talk about that here at the end. But more importantly for folks, you are, what would what would you describe yourself when it comes to big game hunting? I guess a professional traveling worldwide big game hunter, would that be a fair assumption? 
Pr- pretty much. I mean, I'm we you know we hunt, we fish, we do waterfowl, which we'll do later this week over there in the Front Range of Colorado. But I'm I'm passionate about big game. I grew up in Colorado, and that's kind of what I was all about. From the minute I was old enough to be able to hunt on my own, I was out chasing big giant mule deer. My my great uncle and grandfather were my mentors, and you know usually when you're first deer, it's you know go shoot a two point and. I drove my grandfather and great uncle absolutely nuts because I was not going to shoot a four corn or something small. And none of them were trophy hunters. They were raised during the great depression. So it was who I was born as. And basically I did, you know, eight years in the Marine Corps and then was a mortgage banker. And when an opportunity came up, or I guess I created the opportunity to become a magazine publisher and a big game hunting expert and do this for a living, you know, last year alone, I spent over 200 days in the field, hunt most of the western states on a, on a regular basis, personally, or I'm with one of our, you know, winners like when you won the brown bear hunt. But I I absolutely just love big game hunting. It doesn't matter if it's mule deer or elk or sheep or goats or bears or whatever. I just love the big game harvest and you know just being in the field and, and enjoying the experience. And the thing I've definitely noticed the older I get. I really enjoy just the experience of being out there. I still sure. like killing big stuff and like running a camera as well. I, I really like being out there with those critters. They're, they're just God's creatures, and they're unbelievable. Well, I know when you went with me uh, on Kodiak Island, you never touched a gun the whole time. You're just there for the experience, and that's fantastic. And uh, But a really important takeaway, first of all, you eat everything you shoot as well so that you live on big game. We've talked about that, which is similar to me. I, I don't buy beef these days. I shoot it and eat it, uh, earn my place at the top of the food chain. But one thing about being a traveling big game hunter like yourself is that there's a lot of what I call preseason scouting that goes into it. If you're going to do it at a high level, there's a lot of preseason stuff that has to happen. So as a pro, what what should guys be doing right now, hardcore big game hunters, what should they be doing right now? It's only a few months since season closed to start preparing themselves for the for the hunt of uh, you know that's coming up. You bet. I mean, I Applying for for tags is one of the biggest deals. You know, when when we were both kids, used to be able to buy tags over the counter, and Colorado has still probably some of the best opportunities to buy over the counter for elk tags. But if you want to truly hunt and have yourself the best opportunity to kill the biggest animals, you've got to play the the points game. And that started in in December 15th. Some people were still hunting big game at that point in time. That was you know Alaska's deadline was was right at December 15th. Last week was uh, was the deadline for Wyoming. Uh, you know, Colorado will be up and coming here in uh, uh, April. Uh, Arizona's deadline for elk and antelope is is the 11th on Tuesday of this week. So y- you've got to know when those deadlines are. And the other thing you've got to understand is just because you build a bunch of bonus points doesn't mean that you're guaranteed a big trophy animal. I I talk to people all over when I'm doing store visits, and especially when I'm in the field, we're obviously running around in a big wrap truck, and people know who we are. So I talk to a lot of people in some of these premium units, and they're like, wow, this is just really tough. They're expecting, realistically, I think they're expecting to see a big giant deer or big elk or whatever, almost behind every tree. And the thing you've got to realize, when you're planning this, you might have taken 20, 25 years to draw this tag the thing you've got to understand if it took that many points and it is a premium limited entry unit 
some of the best premium trophy hunters have hunted that unit every year. You've got guides that target those units and sell these to people each and every year that are coming there. They are scouting it basically almost year round. I mean, like right now, we're going to be out shed hunting to see what survived the winter. Did some of those big giant bulls and big bucks, did they survive last year that we watched them? And that's a good indication that they made it. So then we're going to start running our trail cameras in the summer and watching to see, hey, did they show up? Did they sprout extra points? Are they still on the up-and-comer? Are they going downhill? Are they 8, 9, 10 years old? There's so much that goes into that. And like I said, I spent over 220 days in the field last year. And most guys and people are going to get divorced if they're out there as much as that. So yeah, I know. That's a very forgiving that... wife. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, uh, the the thing about that, too, you, you mentioned that the guides and the outfitters are out in the field, um, but you can't wait until you draw your tag to spend time in the field. You need to be spending time in the field and developing your skills so that when you draw that tag, you have some clue what's going on. Now, on to the outfitters to keep us in reasonable time here. If a guy's going to book an outfitter, I mean – I want to go on a premium big game hunt. Maybe I've built some points. I don't have time to do that scouting that you're doing. I want to hire an outfitter. How far in advance do I need to be looking for that? I look years in advance for that stuff because, you know, you're going to have people that don't have a tremendous hunting skill set. They're going to go there. The outfitter can get them all the way up to the animal, but they can't pull the trigger for them. And I see this year in and year yeah, out. We have talk talked about this on a hunt. lot of phone calls. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Guys get there and, you know, they miss the buck or they don't see it. They they can't get on it. They're not used to shooting off of sticks. There's lots of stuff. So when you're shopping for an outfitter, you don't want to do it the year you're going to draw that. You want to have a continual relationship with them. Talk with them on a regular basis, you know, not bugging them during the middle of the season. Talk to them now. You know, what was real, you know, and that, then when you're that person, they're going to tell you, hey, look, this is a droughted out year. We're going to see 20 inches of horn growth less than we normally do. You know what? This might not be the year to burn your your tag. You know what? You've got to trust the professionals. If you're going to get brain surgery, you're not going to go to your auto mechanic to get that done. Right. Go to the professionals. These guys harvest tons and tons of animals each and every year, and they're targeting the oldest and the maturest animals, so they know what they're doing. So get in touch with those guys sooner than later. And one thing I find, if you if you're not an outfitter guy and you want to do it yourself, man, dedicate vacation that same week that you want to actually hunt that, go look around. Go see what's going on during that. You'll learn about, hey, this is they've offered a new cow hunt in here that put a whole bunch of new pressure into the unit. Or you can talk to people when you're not a – when you don't have a tag in hand, it's amazing how much people will share information with you around camp at night about what they're seeing, water holes, this is what the migration's doing, this is what we're, where they're seeing a lot of pressure. And, hey, you can share information with those guys on a, on a big deer or big elk or something – and they're going to, you can follow up with them, get their name and contact information after it's all said and done, get that information. I do that with numerous units around the West. If we we're in Colorado hunting and we tag out early, I'll spend the rest of the hunt there going to talk to people, just looking at different parts of the unit or totally go scout out a new unit. You've got to spend time in the field if you're going to be successful. Yeah, I, I think that's a, a critical thing right there is time in the field. And the other thing, I know you've hunt, you hunt with so many different people, whether you're carrying the camera and, and, or acting as a guide or, or just tagging along. Uh, physical conditioning goes right along with preparation. If you're going to go on a big hunt somewhere, you need to be physically prepared for that as well. 
You bet. Yeah. yeah, you you need to be prepared to go out there and give it your all. I mean, seasons, you know, nine days, seven days, five days, Colorado's cut back some of the season lengths. So, you know, give it your all. Be out there for that full nine days and give it as much as you possibly can. I know everybody likes to enjoy that part of the vacation, but, you know, if you're spending a day hungover out there, that's, right. it's a day you're not in the woods and, and giving it your most. And that's what it takes to really be successful. Hey, we all like being lucky every now and then, and I'll take lucky than good any time I can get it. Well, absolutely. But, you know, we, we talked a little bit on the on the phone coming up to this is, you know, uh, hunting the same unit year in and year out is a key thing, or as many years as you can uh, can be a really key thing. Uh, I've been hunting the same unit for basically 20 or 18 years, I guess now. When I don't draw a buck tag, I make sure I draw a doe tag so that I can at least uh, spend time in my unit like you're talking about and uh, and make sure that I know what's going on in the unit, what's, you know, what's go- day in and day out, year in and year out, what's changing in my unit. Now let's shift gears a little bit because just the opposite of that was me going to Kodiak Island and we've, we've got about <laughs> three minutes or so. I got to go to Kodiak Island and hunt and that's a hunt that's probably a 30, with everything included, probably pushing $40,000. There's no possible Correct. way a starving fisherman like myself could spend $40,000 on a hunt. But there is a way that I went, and uh, and I did that through the pro membership sweepstakes that you started, uh, kind of a spinoff of Sportsman's News Magazine. I'm not entirely sure how that spinoff works, but I can tell you that it it's a fantastic thing when the phone rings and you're on the other line saying, hey, by the way, <laughs> next year you're going to go to Kodiak Island and hunt bears. What do you think of that? When in a never in a million years, that's like saying I'd be racing a Ferrari next week. So, um, <laughs> you know, I did. So give us a quick rundown of why, first of all, did you create the pro membership sweepstakes and give us a quick rundown on how people can can maybe get a chance at winning some of this stuff. Gotcha. Well, we doing Sportsman's News, the publication for Sportsman's Warehouse, part of our cover stories were doing outfitter evaluations because there's I found out there's more bad out there than there is good. And we would go to these outfitters and evaluate them, see what if they delivered what they promised. Well, after doing that for quite a few years, I, I won't say I lost my passion to go kill, but I didn't. I like to be there. I don't necessarily like to be the trigger guy anymore. It's not my ultimate passion. I love seeing people share that experience. So I thought, well, if we started a membership-based club, per se, where it would cost either 27 bucks a month or $300 a year, basically how we came out with, I could give these trips away to average everyday Joes, who was who I was when I grew up, that I dreamed of trips like a Kodiak brown bear or a doll sheep hunt or a desert bighorn sheep or just some of these big private land, you know, deer hunts or elk hunts. But I could never afford them growing up. I thought, well, having a chance to do that would be great. So we developed the pro membership sweepstakes. I give away a trip every 10 days. And this year alone, this is its fifth year of going into into operation. We will give away $450,000 in grand prizes and another fifty dollars to $60,000 in bonus prizes. And a per- certain share of those, we travel along and make you guys the pros. You get to hunt and fish like the pros. So everybody sits around and watches outdoor television on TV. They see these big, giant animals. And yeah, some of those ranches and stuff were set aside for those TV pros to do that. So with the pro membership sweepstakes, we let you hunt and fish like the pros. And that's what you got to experience going to Kodiak Island. That's a four-year waiting period to hunt with Mike Carlson and Larson Bay Lodge. And because they don't do very many of them, but right. we've got another one of those reserved for 2022. I booked it 
the minute we yeah, left. We booked it while I was there. Hunt. And I want to point out quickly yeah. that I'm not sure I hunted like the pro, but I was I had the pro experience. <laughs> I just might not have had the pro level. But guys can check that out, Mike. We're out of time, but people can check that out at promembershipsweepstakes.com or they can go to Sportsman News Magazine, check out all my writing there. So I appreciate you taking the time, Mike, and you have a good day. Thank you. Have a great weekend. See ya. And with that, we're going to step aside. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan.